The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. You know, I was thinking, I told Ethan on the way in tonight that this morning I couldn't help but think as we were singing our song, I loved the song set from this morning, but I couldn't help but think the whole time as we were singing, boy, we need to sing it as well. Because I knew where the text was going, I knew, and um, there are things that happen in our lives that... Um, it's hard to say it is well, isn't it? I mean, hard to know the the where that song comes out of. The text of that song comes out of um, he lost his his family um, and he's in the middle of sailing across the sea and he comes to that spot in the sea and they told him this is where your family drowned and and uh, that was where that song was penned was in the midst of that. I mean that that brings a whole lot more power and validity to that song than just singing it without knowing. So, excuse me, I do have a, a dry throat still, so I'm going to probably sip water throughout the whole thing. But turn tonight, if you will, to Romans chapter 8, and we'll continue, and we'll at least do one more of what I meant to do this morning. Um, sometimes what I mean to do and what God means to do are two different things. And uh, so... Uh, we'll look at this tonight. We're continuing to look at suffering and the faithfulness of God. And this morning we talked about the, that God in our suffering, he uses suffering to test us and then also to humble us, to keep us humble or to make us humble. And tonight I at least want to look at this one. Uh, God uses suffering to make us long for heaven, to make us long for heaven, um, how many of you knew that the iPad 3 came out on, uh, well, it came out officially the 16th, which was Friday? Um, if you didn't know that, then um, that's okay. No shame here, unless you're a true Apple person, and there's shame coming from the Apple people on you for not knowing that. But Micaiah, when he's been waiting for this day for about 14 months, about 14 months ago, he began to save his own money because he wanted an iPad 3. He knew they were going to come out. Well, he didn't exactly want an iPad 3. He wanted an iPad. But he didn't know that it was going to take him 14 months to save his own money to buy this thing. The iPad costs, is it $499? Uh, $499. And, uh, and then you, to buy the cover that goes with it and with shipping and handling and all this, it was, it was well over $500. And, uh, for 14 months, my, um, 12, now 13-year-old son, uh, saved his money and just longed for this day. I mean, he's watched videos on it. I mean, just, I mean, knows everything about it. It came the other day and, and, uh, and uh, you know, we said, no, wait a minute, you, you don't know what to do yet. He said, I know what to do, Dad. You know, I am prepared, you know. I am an authority on the iPad 3. Just get out of the way. But you should have seen him. The day that it was supposed to arrive, it was it came out on Friday, but they released it for pre-orders, I think, about a week and a half before that, a week, week and a half before that. And so he had the money finally He'd been saving, sitting on it for this purpose. And so we went online and we ordered this thing and the, the system was so uh, just bombarded that day with pre-orders. I mean, it took us multiple times to get through to actually get this thing to go through. So he and I are in the kitchen that night and we're trying to order this thing. And apparently everybody else in America is trying to order the world is trying to order this thing as well. And and uh, it kept, you know, we'd get so far and then it would back. It would shut us down. It would get so far and it would shut us down, get so far. Finally, it went through and it said 
successful. I threw my hand up to high five him. And those of you who have raised kids and they come to teenage years, they no longer really want to hug you. So I threw my hand up to high five him. And I couldn't even he, he went well beyond the high five, grabbed my hand, pulled me into him and just wrapped his arms around me just out of just pure elation that he'd got this thing. Well, then we wait all week and he's thinking, he said, uh, you know, hey, dad, it's supposed to come on Friday. Do you think I could stay out of school on Friday? Yeah. I said, lucky for you, you're out of school on Friday. You know, it's an in-service day. That's right. You know, and he's going through all this. And so Friday I'm at home and I'm studying with him and or in, out in my shack and, and uh, he's in the house. And I come through the house at one point and he's up in the window in the front of the house. He's just looking. He says, Dad, I, I saw a FedEx truck go by a minute ago and I think he might have missed our driveway. He's probably going to turn around, you know. And uh, I said, Micaiah, I hate to tell you this, but it's uh, it's UPS that it's coming by. Oh, man. You know, and he, he backs in. Well, about 1030. This UPS truck comes driving down our driveway, and uh, I'm out in the shack out there studying. The door's open so I can see him. I don't have to call over to the house. You know, he beats me out of the house, and uh, he said, the driver said, looks like somebody's going to make somebody real happy with this iPad. I said, you don't even know. You don't even know. And so he got the thing, and we tweeted it out and all this, and he has not stopped on that thing. You say, why do I tell you all that? I tell you all that because for 14 months, for a 13, 12-year-old, a 13-year-old boy to say no to a lot of stuff and save his money for him, it pales in comparison to the suffering that he will probably at some point in his life have to endure or what you've endured. But for 14 months, he endured the suffering because he was longing for what would come. And that's what God does with suffering in our lives. And I want to show you this in in this passage of Scripture. I know that it's hard to believe. I want us to walk through uh, Romans 8, and we're going to walk through 18 through 25 tonight together. I don't want to read it up front, and we'll read it as we go along. Um, So I'll just kind of start with this first verse. I know that it's hard to believe, but verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's a good verse. But for someone who's going through suffering, that's a verse that someone might say, I I don't know that I buy that. I mean, you're speculating here. You've never seen heaven, have you? Well, keep in mind what I told you this morning. Paul had been to heaven. And Paul is the author of this. Paul is writing this and he's saying to you and to I, God wants you and I to know that the glory that is coming to us, the inheritance that is coming to us as sons of God. What we have to go through here doesn't even compare. The image I want to give to you is maybe a visual image, if I can describe this for you, is to take whatever suffering that you're dealing with. Take whatever it is that maybe you have come out of or you are in the middle of or that one day you will go through. And as heavy and horrible and dark as it is, take that heavy weight and set it down on the scale. Set it down on the scale that is opposite of the other side of the scale that has the glory that is coming to us in the inheritance of heaven sitting on the other side of the scale. And sit that burden as heavy as heavy. And dark as it is 
on the other side of the scale. And I can promise you this. The picture here is that that side of the scale won't even move. It won't budge. It won't even it won't even begin to get any air between it and the ground. What's coming to us is unfathomable. I could try. I could I could paint it for you tonight and and try to show you what heaven is like. And we have limited knowledge of what heaven's like. But I couldn't paint a picture good enough. You understand that? There's there's very few things that I could say. I could try to tell you about it, but I can't I can't put words to how good it is. One of my favorite things, I you know, I I love food. And my favorite dessert in the world is a cake that Lana makes, and it's called Holy Cow Cake. And and uh, it has other names as well, but it's Holy Cow Cake. And I love that thing because it's just, it man, it is chocolate cake, and, and it just oozes with caramel and all kind of, you know, Eagle brand milk and Cool Whip. and all, I mean, it's good. I mean, it's really good. I, I could go home right now and have some. But as much as I say I can't express to you how good it is, I really can. For some of you, I would I would paint the picture and then you would take a bite and you would say, eh, I mean, I could take it or leave it. It, it was good, but, I, you know, it's, it's OK. I'm telling you that when it comes to heaven, when it comes to the future inheritance that we as the sons of God have coming to us, we cannot describe it. Let that sink in for just a minute. The present sufferings of this world are nothing compared to it. Nothing. The Bible says light and momentary trouble. Some of you have been through some things that, frankly, I feel very unqualified to stand up here and talk to you about suffering. Um, I spent time after the service today talking with people and heard heard some of the stories and know some of the things that people are currently going through. And and largely, I've not gone through a whole lot of suffering in my life. So I feel very unqualified. But but I can on the authority, not on the authority of what I've experienced, but on the authority of the word of God, I can tell you that regardless of what it is you're going through, or what you will go through, or what you have gone through, it does not compare. It's light and momentary trouble. Light and momentary affliction compared to what we have coming to us. That's good news. Amen. Verse 19. He goes on and he says, creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. I want you to notice those two words, eager longing. Uh, it's, It's the picture of creation just sitting wherever God has placed it, just almost shaking with anticipation. It's. When when you look outside and you see those red buds now that are beginning to just pop out, they're popping out, longing for what's coming. They're longing for the inheritance of the sons of God, because creation, when we receive what is coming to us, creation also will be put back to its original form. And there's this sense of longing, this Word picture here. It's not as if it's not as if that tree really knows what it's doing, but in God has made it to tell of his glory. It, the writer here, Paul, writes here that 
it waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Here is a picture of the believer's inheritance. In verse 21, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Um, this is the reason, and this is what I was uh, I spent just a little bit of time very quickly on this morning. The reason we have suffering in, in this world is because this creation is held captive. It's held in bondage. And there's going to come a time when it's going to be loosed. Um, as we were walking the dog um, down through downtown Greenville today, um, it was amazing how many dogs we we came across. Have you, have you been to downtown Greenville on a beautiful afternoon? People get out with their dogs, and they're everywhere. I mean, you see dogs, you know, I mean, little dogs, big dogs. I saw the biggest dog I've ever seen in my life in downtown Greenville today. And, uh, and then here I am walking, you know, Whiskers, which is, a, you know, what you would typically name a cat, but, you know, walking by the dog. And, and he is, he's about this big. He's about 13 pounds, and he's white. And here was this other dog, and he had to have been at least 185, 200 pounds, and he was jet black. And I just thought, you know, if he wanted to, he could just, bam, just, you know, one chomp, just take whiskers right away, you know. And, uh, and there was a point where I thought there were a couple of dogs that were going to, going to do that. And those ducks that float all over the river, I thought, man, one of them's going down. Because there was, there were dogs out there in it, and, and I thought, they're going to get one of them. And, and uh, you, you see all of this kind of at odds with one another. And there's coming a day, and I know I've, I know I've shared this with you before, but don't ever get over this. There's coming a day. When it won't just be little dog and big dog getting along together. It won't just be ducks on the river and dogs getting along together. The Bible talks of the lion laying down with the lamb. And the infant playing with vipers. And that there will be no, no more bondage of sin over creation. I mean, you think back and every single one of us has experienced death or sickness in some way. I remember the first traumatic experience with death that I ever had. Uh, he was my Uncle Harris. And I wasn't particularly close to Harris, um, but I would, I would go over there. He lived across the road from my grandfather, and so we would pretty much go over there at least once a week just, you know, hanging out. And there was a river that ran around by his house, and he had all these old fishing poles in the garage, and he would let us borrow fishing poles and he had all these bottles of cologne in his in his on his dresser and they were all odd shapes they you know one would be a motorcycle and one would be you know something else and you remember those uh from from years ago and i just remember going through all of his stuff and i never really i don't remember having a conversation with harris at all but i went to his funeral when he died and suddenly bam it hit me and i found myself weeping and i didn't know why and i must have been probably seven eight years old and it just hit me, the reality of death, and that Harris was gone. And uh, all of us have, have had some experience or another with death or dying or, or sickness of some sort or some kind of suffering. And the reality is the reason for every single bit of it is sin. And when here the scripture talks about the fact that creation is waiting eagerly, eagerly longing to be set free from its bondage. That's that's going to be a beautiful day, beautiful thing. We don't know all of what's going to happen, but it's going to be just flat out amazing. Um, verse 22 goes on. He says the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth 
And I've already talked about that every suffering is the result of sin. And every suffering ought to remind us uh, that our world is not as it, in, as it was intended to be. I mean, we're not there. The, the, the creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. When uh, I, I like to think, I don't, I don't know if this is really what it's talking about, but I like to think that every time there's an earthquake um, or hurricane or uh, something that goes wrong, it's evidence of, and I think this is Jesus pointed this out, and uh, we went over this in Mark, but that it's, it's evidence here, it's, it's labor pains. It's creation going through these pains, getting, re- getting itself ready to deliver, to be delivered to its original state. And it ought to remind us every time we come across it. That's why there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says that it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. Because when you go to a funeral, you're reminded that this world is not all there is. That this world is not our home. That we're not there yet. That death is not a permanent reality, but it's temporary. And that one day we'll live in the presence of our God forever. And that, that is a very good thing. Verse 23, it keeps going. Not only the creation, he says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The picture here is when he says that not only is it the creation that's groaning, but we ourselves are as well. I mean, we have the first fruits of the spirit, meaning we're saved. But we're longing for what we're going to become. This is the tension of the already, but the not yet. We're already saved, but we are being saved. And then he says here that that we're waiting eagerly for our adoption. What this points to is um, that our adoption papers have been signed, if you will. But we've not been brought home yet. Um, Russell Moore, who was uh, he's a professor at Southern Seminary uh, over the uh, School of Theology there at uh, Southern Seminary. He was uh, my theology professor. I've shared with you, he, you know, Probably should have flunked me, but he didn't. Um, could have, but he didn't. But um, uh, he's adopted several several boys now. And he shares the story in his book, Adopted for Life, of going into this orphanage when they went to adopt their, their son or their sons in this orphanage and walking into this orphanage, I believe in Russia, and walking in and, and things just being so dirty, if you will, so simple, so depressing, if you will, in this place. And he walked past uh, all of these just cold faced, very stale people. And, and he walked back and they were they were able to see these these boys. And uh, these boys were there in the crib together. And uh, and they they were living together in this crib. They were obviously in very kind of just meager, really kind of sad circumstances. And the, the nurse went over and picked up these boys and took them out of the crib and she brought them over. And it came time for them to to be handed over to Russell and Maria, his wife. And they'll never forget that those boys, when it came time to, for them to take them, didn't want to come with them. Instead, they clung to those very stone faced, stone faced, stale nurses and wanted to go back to that crib and those very sad circumstances. And he said he was struck with the reality that they had no idea what was, what was waiting for them. They had no idea about McDonald's Happy Meals. 
They had no idea, uh, uh, you know, about any of the stuff that comes along with being raised in, in America in affluence. And all they knew was what they had. And it was comfortable to them. And so they clung to it. And they didn't want to go with what, what was new to them and what was scary to them. And um, now the reality for those boys is very different. They're being raised in this home. And, and he shares in the book, they've come to know full well about McDonald's Happy Meals. And uh, they wouldn't go back to the orphanage now for anything. But I think it's a great picture of how we are. That our reality is, as believers, our adoption papers have been signed. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. But we've not been brought home yet. And this world is really all we know, and it's filled with stone-faced people. It's filled with very stale personalities at times. It's, it's filled with meager, almost sad circumstances compared to what is on the other side. And it is no McDonald's Happy Meal. It is far greater. But instead, even as believers, what we do sometimes is we cling to what we know. We cling to those things that are comfortable. Um, we turn to food for comfort or we turn to relationships for comfort or we turn to television or something else for comfort. That's what we know instead of giving our lives and selling out to the home that is ours. And one day we will inherit the reality is that God sometimes uses suffering, though, to bring this to light in our in our eyes. If if God never think about this, if God never allowed us to suffer. Then we would cling all the more tightly to this world, wouldn't we? If everything was always pleasing and happy, which, by the way, is is the picture that some churches are trying to create. They're trying to create heaven on earth. Some pastors are promising that this life can be your best life now. You can have that best life. The reality is, as I spoke with Wallace this morning, that we're never going to be happy. We're never going to be content in this world. We're always going to be searching for, if we're searching for it here, we're always going to be searching for something that we will never have. We will become content with this, thinking this is all there is, when God says there is so much more that is coming, would you sell out? Would you, as David Platt has written about, let go of the American dream and use your one life to be poured out for the glory of God in the nations? If everything was always happy and God never allowed us to suffer, we would hang on to it all the more. Verses 24 and 25, as we finish up this section, he says, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the picture of Micaiah and the iPad. Do you think now Micaiah is going every morning to that same window and watching for that UPS truck? Why? He has it. He has it. He doesn't hope for what he sees. He has it. It's in front of him. To look out the window now would be foolish. But God puts heaven and the glory that is coming to us as children of God in front of us so that we will spend all of our lives looking out the window 
waiting for him to come, longing for it. Not that we would just quit everything and just quit our jobs and just go into just this sort of very private, meager life and just wait for God. But that we would get busy so that others might be able to have the same anticipation and have the same hope. Um, right now, you and I sit in this church on Sunday night. No, no opposition. Nobody stopped you on the way here and questioned whether or not this was a government sanctioned church. You came very freely. But there are people in the world who can't do this. They sit in places that tell that where the government says if it's not a government sanctioned church, then it's not allowed to be a church. They can't preach the gospel. There are people around the world in different places where there is no access to the gospel. None. And you and I, this is this sickens me sometimes. You and I sit here tonight and we can talk openly about the longing for and the hope of heaven that is to come. And do you realize that there are people in the world who know of no such place as heaven? Who know of no such hope as what Jesus Christ brings. And we can sit here and occupy ourselves for the better part of an hour talking about longing for it. But if that doesn't translate into us pouring our lives out so that others might have the same hope, then is it really hope for us? Or is it just selfishness? Is it just a squandering of the greatest gift that we've ever been given? Sometimes I think what happens in suffering is God puts this thing on us or allows this thing to come on us. You remember the story of Job where, um, you know, Satan had to go before God and ask permission before he could before he could do take away everything from Job. You know, we've got to be careful that we don't say that God is the author of evil. God's not sadistic. He's not out to torture you. But he will allow things, and sometimes he will send things. That, like we saw this morning with, with, uh, with Paul, with the thorn in the flesh. That specifically says that that was from God. And sometimes God will, will put those things on us or allow those things to come on us that are so heavy and so dark and so painful that the natural reaction as a believer is to say, can't wait for this thing to be over. I long for the day when this will be over. I long for what is coming to me. Isn't that true? I mean, it's absolutely the truth. Um, I don't do well with with uh, with tight spaces, and this is not a huge suffering thing. I'm, I really grasp at things that, to really share with you illustrations of suffering, but I don't do well with tight spaces, and. Um, the other day, I, um, the doctor sent me to, to have a CAT scan for my sinuses, not, not anything else, just my sinuses, can't figure out what's wrong. And uh, I didn't know what a CAT scan was. I knew it was a little different than an x-ray. I had, I had no clue. And so the whole way over there to this place, I'm thinking, um, are they, am I going to slid back into this tube? And I don't know how well I'm going to do about this. You know, I'm a six-foot-three guy, you know, and, and uh, I really don't need to show that I'm afraid, but I'm a little afraid going into this thing. You know, and the whole time I was thinking, boy, if I can just get through it, I'll get through it and it'll be over. It turned out it was just right here. You know, it wasn't the whole tube thing. It was fine. But that's exactly what God does sometimes with suffering in our lives. We've got people I share with you this morning. We've got people that in this very faith family, 
that have lost loved ones that are just absolutely struggling. You know, um, it's, she's been open about it. She wouldn't mind me telling you. But, you know, Robin Sizemore came forward this morning and just knelt here on these on these steps and just poured her heart out to God. Um, if you don't know Robin's story, Robin lost both of her children, her adult children, on separate occasions this past year. Both of them. Um, you know, one one to cancer, one to an accidental drug overdose. I mean, two totally separate things, but within about two months or so from one another. I mean, how do you deal with something like that? In Robin's case, suffering for her, she longs for, and it's natural for her to long to be with Jason again, to be with her kids again. And that's, that's natural, and that's one thing that God is doing is he's showing us that this world is not all that there is, and you need to long for the day when you will be with me. And God is gracious in that, isn't he? I mean, if not, as I've said, we would get very, very comfortable and probably sink into this life and never give ourselves to anything else. Well, I could go on to another one, but I think I'll end there for the sake of time. Uh, let these sink into you today. Um, as I said this morning, you're you're either coming out of a, a time of suffering or you're in the middle of a time of suffering or there's going to be a time in the future where you're going to go into and through a time of suffering. And so where, regardless of where you are, either take it and use it now or file it away for the future. But you will need this. You will need to know in the middle of it what is God doing in the midst of this? And so far, what we've seen is God will test us, test the strength of our faith, not for him, but for us so that we would know. Sometimes God will use suffering in our life to keep us from becoming conceited, to keep us and make us humble, to make us like Christ. And then, as we've looked at tonight, um, to make us long for what is to come, to help us to not be comfortable with this world, but to say this world's not my home. Headed somewhere else. Amen. Let's pray together. God, you are gracious. You're always gracious. Um, Lord, we are the recipients of that. And God, sometimes we relegate your grace merely to salvation. And it is the most visible, most tangible expression of your grace in sending your son to die on the cross But God, help us to also remember and take note that there are thousands of other little ways that we experience your grace. And God, one of those is in suffering. God, help us to not see it as something that is evil necessarily from you. It is it is a it is in one respect. It is a um, an outcome of evil in this world. But God, help us to understand that because we are yours, that nothing will be squandered. That you will indeed, Romans 8, 28, cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, help us to embrace it. We don't have to like it, but God, help us to look for you in the midst of it. To find that you are our anchor that holds beyond the veil. That That you, Lord, will take us through and finish what you started. And God, help us to understand that suffering at times will be part of the way, the, the means by which you do that. God, shape us 
to the end. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.